Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Focused on life. President Ronald Reagan issued a presidential proclamation on January the 13th of 1984, designating uh, Sunday, January the 22nd, uh, 1984, as National Sanctity of Life Day. And he noted that it was the 11th anniversary of Roe v. Wade in which the Supreme Court issued a, a, a ruling guaranteeing women's access to abortion. Um, a little bit of history there on the 10th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, President Ronald Reagan, he wrote an essay about abortion, and it was published in the Human Life Review and later issued as a book called Abortion and the Conscience of the Nation. It was the only book ever published by a sitting U.S. president. The essay is one of the most forceful defenses of life and the strongest denunciations of abortion that was ever issued by an American president. Please allow me to share an excerpt from that book. The real question today is not when human life begins, but what is the value of human life? President Reagan wrote, the abortionist who reassembles the arms and legs of a tiny baby to make sure all of its parts have been torn from its mother's body can hardly doubt whether it is a human being. The real question for him and for all of us is whether that tiny human life is a God-given right to be protected by the law, the same right we have. Reagan goes on to write, prayer and action are needed to uphold the sanctity of human life. I believe it will not be possible to accomplish our work, the work of saving lives, without being a soul of prayer. It was a year later, on the 11th anniversary, that he issued Proclamation 5147, National Sanctity of Life, Human Day. Uh, And since 1973, uh, at that ceremony, he made a note that some 15 million unborn babies had taken place in what was referred to as legalized abortions. It is a tragedy of stunning dimensions that stands in sad contrast to our belief, according to our Constitution, that every life is sacred. And I still say in the year 2024 that every life is sacred. The proclamation designated Sunday of January 22nd of 1984 uh, as National Sanctity of Human Life Day, uh, President uh, Ronald Reagan said, I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on that day in homes and places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life, to reaffirm our commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of each human life. Well, you know what, folks? This marks the 40th anniversary of that time when... um, former president, uh, uh, created this event. And so with this as our backdrop, I'd like for us to go to our text this morning. Let's all stand out on respect to the reading of God's Word this morning. And uh, I will read the odd verses. You will read the even verses. And we'll read the first 15 verses of Luke chapter number 15. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him.
And he spake this parable unto them, saying, And when he had found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Father, would you help us not to be uncomfortable with a very clear truth that's taught in your word? Father, we are so bombarded by the mainstream media and magazines and and social media telling us what we should believe rather than what does the Lord say. So, Father, may you help us to clearly understand the importance of life, that each one of us, we might focus on it and we might we might have a better understanding and appreciation for the life that you've given us. We love you, Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I'd like to begin by saying this statement. I strongly, strongly dislike Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. You say, well, you just talked about that over and over again. I, I say I strongly dislike it because I'm reminded that we have to say things uh, to one another that human beings shouldn't have to say to one another. And here's that statement. Mothers shouldn't kill their children. And that's an uncomfortable truth to think that in a humanized society that a mother, by the way, that baby in the womb makes her a mother. And that a mother would choose to kill, and we use terms uh, to try to make it less, uh, less offensive, but we often don't call it what it is, and that is the taking of an innocent life, which is murder. But I just say fathers shouldn't abandon their babies, and no human life uh, is worthless regardless of a skin color or age or a disability or an economic status. And the very fact that these things must be proclaimed, it's a reminder of the horrors of this present darkness, this sin of age that we, in which we live. I hate human sanctity of life because I'm reminded that as I'm preaching that there are babies who are warmly nestled in a womb that won't be there tomorrow. I'm reminded there are children, perhaps just a block or two from this pulpit, who will be slapped and who will be punched and who will be burned with a cigarette before nightfall. I'm reminded that there are elderly men and women languishing away in loneliness and their lives pronounced to be a waste. I'm reminded that among us there are some who say, what is my life? It's empty. It's useless. Is there really a God. But I also love Sanctity of Human Life Sunday when I think about the fact that in our church there are unwanted babies who have been adopted. 
And I love to reflect on the men and women who serve every week in, in pregnancy centers for men, uh, uh, for women who are in crisis and men are, are willing to get involved and women are, get, are willing to get involved and our single adults are willing to get involved. And I'm so thankful that I uh, see men and women who have aborted babies, uh, who have found their sins to be forgiven. And um, even this sin, their consciences have been cleansed by Christ in this congregation this morning. I'm thankful for that truth. We'll always need Christmas and we'll always need Easter, but I hope, please, Lord, someday that sanctity of life, Sunday, day, will no longer be necessary for that we will all value life. I cannot preach a message to the aborted. They're in heaven. However, I can preach a message this morning that could give us hope as we focus on life and we focus on relationships and we focus on what is really important. There was a retired pastor who once wrote this, you are not an accident. Your birth was no mistake or mishap and your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. and He was not at all surprised by your birth. In fact, he expected it. Jeremiah, he learns this fact firsthand when he hears God say this, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And none of us are Old Testament prophets this morning, but I, but, I, but, but I think that that first part of that verse applies to all of us. Before you were formed in the belly of your mama, God knew you. May we be reminded of that. Uh, he sanctified you. He's, he has not only set you apart, he has made you special. Only you can be you. And you're not a surprise that somehow caught God off guard and he somehow was like, oops, oh no, I didn't see that one coming. The voice of God comes to announce our extraordinary worth. And I say to you, this worth is inseparably linked to the fact that you were made by God and for God. And our worth to God started before we were born. And you're here this morning, you're seated there, and you're discouraged, and you're downtrodden. You're saying, where is God? I have no value, and who am I? And nobody cares about me. There's one who cares about you, and his name is God. David wrote these words. For I will praise him, thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And God, he prescribed every single detail of my creation. He deliberately chose my race and my gender and the color of my hair and the color of my skin and the color of my eyes. Uh, but guess what? He did the same for you. You see, I'm not a surprise to God and Neither are you. Can you imagine what Jeremiah must have felt when he heard God say, Before I formed you, Jeremiah, I knew you. And before you came out of your mama's womb, I sanctified you. In other words, I set you apart. There was a purpose in your life. And here at this moment, Jeremiah, he hears the voice of God, the creator of the universe, who put the stars in place, who formed the world, and all that we know from the telescopic to the microscopic. Um, and God speaks to Jeremiah personally, and he says, Jeremiah, you are special. You have been on my mind a long, long, long time. How should that make us feel? I think I would echo the words of Psalm 8 
when the writer said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? In other words, how important are we that God would even pay attention to us? And you know what? He does pay attention to us. He says that we are important. And the theme of our value before God can be found in that book that sits in your lap called the Bible. And let me just take one, one little snapshot from the Bible. In the, the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2, Paul, he is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he says, hey, Christians, you are God's workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus. And the reason that you were created in Christ Jesus for, was for the purpose of performing specifically good works. I am so thankful that God prepared us from the foundation of the world. The Bible says not only has God created each and every one of us unique, he has a purpose for every one of us. And some of you are still trying to discover that purpose. Keep on discovering. You have a purpose. You have a reason to be here, and God wants you to find it. I am not an accident. I am not a surprise. I am not a mistake. I have infinite value to God. And you should be able to say the same this morning. This fact is true of you. You are not an accident. You are not a surprise. You are not a mistake. You have infinite value because of who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. The teenager who's struggling because perhaps their friend or peer group has made fun of them, devalued them. Perhaps teenagers and college students going through all the hormonal changes that take place and, 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 and it's just difficult and emotions swing back and forth or perhaps because of social media belittling or whatever, uh, teenagers and, and young adults, especially in this, er in, in this age that we live, they, they struggle in this area. But then once, the, once you retire, there's a whole other segment of our congregation that says, well, nobody even calls me anymore from work. You, you're like Coach Saban of Alabama. Can I illustrate a point for you? If your worth is found in your accomplishments, think about how important Coach Saban is. If you do not know who he is, he's considered and arguably the greatest coach that's ever coached uh, 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 college football. He happens to be from, well, I actually happen to be from the same town, Fairmont, West Virginia, that he is from. He grew up in Fairmont, West Virginia, of which I'll be there Tuesday to do my mother's grand, uh, at my, my grandmother's funeral service. And, and uh, Coach Saban grew up in Fairmont, West Virginia, went on to coach everywhere he, he went except for the NFL. He was extremely successful. And uh, he finished having won seven national championships. Uh, his coaching tree has many limbs and branches, and there's many people in college football as a direct result of him. He announced his retirement. I want you to listen to how important he is. In 48 hours, he was replaced. He's gone. No fancy celebrations. There's a new coach coming in, and there's a new coach in Alabama, and the question is, who is Saban? If Coach Saban finds his worth in his accomplishments, he's going to be retired sitting in his desk, and, and he's going to say, who am I? I have a, what is my life? But I'm here to tell you that if you're uh, Coach Saban's age, and you've retired from your work, or you're, maybe your children are all grown, and they have different parts of the, of the country, and you're saying, who am I? May I just remind you that you are something in Christ. 
And if you're holding on to your accomplishments and your medals on the wall and your certificates on the wall from your degrees, and that's what gives you worth when you retire, it's going to be all gone, empty, and you're going to sit in your easy chair with your cat or your dog in your lap and say, well, it's just us. And you'll be lonely and out of sorts. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you can find your worth in Christ. And that takes us to our text. Allow me to very quickly share with you the three stories that are in Luke chapter number 15. First of all, we see the lost sheep. And then we read about the lost coin. In order to bring all of this together, we have to see number three, the lost son. And we've already read about the first two parables, and I'd like to read through the third parable. And, and uh, please open your Bibles there to Luke chapter 15. Uh, there are three parables, not just one, three, that illustrate a poignant moment that Jesus taught all of the scribes and Pharisees and disciples and all the people who are listening. And I want you to pick up with me in verse number 11, and we'll read through it rather quickly, but I want you to hear this story. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followed to me and, and divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he went to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and, and sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now, I just, should, you, should Jews, according to the law, have anything to do with pigs? That's how far down he had gone. Verse 16, and, and he would have fain had filled his belly with the husk that the swines did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I'll rise, I'll go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and no worthy, uh, no, uh, and am no worthy to be called thy son, and make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was a yet great, great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be and merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and he began to be merry. But his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and, and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, uh, the servant said to the brother, Thy brother has come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And the older brother was angry and would not go in, and therefore came his father out and treated or questioned him. And he said unto his father, that's the older son, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid or a goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to them, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And in this amazing story, Jesus teaches us the value of relationships. We all have relationships. And Jesus literally focuses on life in this story. 
In America, we place great value on youth and beauty and athletic ability and intelligence and education and wealth and fame and hobbies. But I want you to notice that the Bible places more value on relationship than it does anything else. In this story here, Jesus gives us three different parables to illustrate his point. The shepherd lost his sheep. The woman had lost her coin. The father had lost his son. The loss was great. And here's why what Jesus is teaching, because the relationship had ended. That relationship, that association with either the sheep or the coin or the son had ended. God says that you have great value because before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And according to Scripture, every person has immense value to God. The Bible says in Ezekiel, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Can I just say this? Maybe we forget this. People are God's gift to us. Not our hobbies and not our wealth, not our houses and our cars and the things that are inside our house. People are God's gift to us, and God is showing us the value of human life. I've always been fascinated on forensic files with the discovery of DNA. It's probably very boring to most of you, but if I were to say that's my uh, favorite show on television, I love watching forensic files. And I try to figure out and, uh, who, did, who done it, you know, and, uh, and, and, and the whole show is about the DNA and how DNA can either free someone or convict someone. Do you know that every one of us, we have DNA? Um, uh, uh, it, it's been a long time since my grandfather passed away. In fact, he passed away before I was uh, ever born. I never knew my grandfather. Uh, it's been many years since my father passed away. But there's one uh, point of interest here when I think of my grandfather that I never met and my dad, uh, uh, who I live with, is that when I place my picture next to my grandfather or my father, we all look very much alike. Uh, we're very similar in appearance. Um, I, I am a little jealous of both my grandfather and my father are taller than I am, so I don't know what happened there. But, but, but looks, uh, we're very similar in looks. And people will, I'll go back, and I'll guarantee you this will happen over this next, we'll be going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to my grandmother's funeral, and I, I, this will happen, uh, is that uh, as family gathers, they'll say this, Brent, you look so much like Dave. Now, Dave was my dad, so all, the, all of my mom's friends that will come to the funeral, they're going to look at me and say, you look so much like Dave. Well, my dad's been gone many, many years. We're very similar in, in appearance. Well, God has blessed Shelly and I with three children. We have three children. In fact, one of them happens to work here on our staff. One of them spoke here just a moment ago. If we were to stand beside each other, you might see that there's a DNA resemblance. In fact, why don't you come up here uh, and let's see. Um, you don't have to ask, are we related? We, wherever we go, people think we're related. There's something called DNA, and it's a big, long, uh, a big, long word. Uh, uh, every one of us, we have DNA. Uh, there's a resemblance, like our oldest son looks much more like his mother than me, but uh, uh, Jonathan and I, we look very much alike. The, my grandfather passed on his DNA to my father, who passed it on to me, who I've passed on to my children. And you can tell from appearance that, that, uh, that my father was the, uh, the son of his father, 
father, and you can tell from my appearance that I'm the son of my father. I mean, it, it, it doesn't lie. And if my DNA would be tested, there would be no doubt that I'm of the Armstrong bloodline. In fact, um, I, I, uh, uh, my dad had uh, two other brothers. Neither one of them had children. And I was the last hope to keep the Armstrong name alive. And so I have two sons, and, and, uh, and now they've kept the name uh, uh, alive. Um, uh, uh, so I'm of the Armstrong bloodline. Uh, the Armstrong family bloodline has never been wealthy. We're from the other side of the tracks. But there is a rich uh, heritage associated with the name of hard work and working in sharecropper fields. And, and uh, I often wonder, though, when I think about DNA and forensic files, and, and I said all that to say this, I wonder if there's such thing as a spiritual DNA. Because you know what the Bible does say? Think about this verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We have great value because we were created in the image of God. And wherever you are this morning, just as you are as a human being, and perhaps you're a young lady and you have either had an abortion or thinking about having an abortion or don't really care about this issue, uh, this issue until you get pregnant, may I just say that every human being has a value to God. And it is not up for us to determine when that life ends. Your life finds meaning only in a relationship with the God in whose image you were created. He has a purpose and a plan for your life, and that is different from every other person who is ever created. God says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, uh, uh, to give you an expected end. You are so important to him that Jesus even said this, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I love that passage of Scripture. You're struggling this morning. Do I have value? Do I have worth? Maybe there's a teenager struggling here because you've had a, a hard time in school over the last couple of weeks and someone made fun of you and you say, well, I'm worth nothing. Or maybe uh, there's a, a single adult here from one of our, uh, one of, uh, our empowered growth groups, and, and you're thinking this morning, uh, nobody cares about me. Might I just remind you that God says he knows how many hairs you have on your head. Do, not, do you beat yourself up because you think, I'm not pretty, I'm not tall enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not athletic enough? Do not cut yourself down because you are feeling lacking in your abilities. God said this to Jeremiah, the prophet, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you, knew all about you. God has made you who you are, and before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Then there should never be an abortion. Because that means that that baby that's in the womb, in the belly, before that baby was ever born, you say, well, life doesn't begin until breath. And you have a problem with what we just preached this morning because God said, before, Jeremiah, before you were ever in the womb of your mom as a baby, I knew you and had a plan for you. This, this message is biblical. It is here to illustrate to you the value of life. Jesus gave us three parables to illustrate a point. 
He could, have, he could have just told one of these stories. He told three, three parables. What was the significance Jesus taught that all, that, uh, that all of us would hear? We're going to focus on something. One was so focused on his sheep. One was focused on the coin. One was focused on the sun. Jesus wants us to focus, and it's something called life. Jesus wants you to focus too. He wants you to focus on life. He gave you your life. He has a purpose for you. Now think about Jeremiah as the Old Testament prophet. Despite doubting his ability to speak and showing concern about his age, Jeremiah had a calling on his life which was given to him by a divine revelation. And although the call on uh, Jeremiah's life was devoid of great visions of earth like Isaiah revealed uh, to his parents like John the Baptist, the, uh, the knowledge that he had been singled out by God, that he had been set apart for an important prophetic ministry must have been a great encouragement to this young Levi who felt so inadequate. I want you to remember that Jeremiah felt inadequate, incapable of what God wanted him to do. That might be you. Jeremiah may have been divinely chosen. He may have been, uh, uh, as he was, empowered by God for this prophetic ministry, but he was a man who was humanly hesitant and reluctant to take his God-ordained role. That's people here today reluctant to do what God wants me to do. He was also a man who had to endure much hardship during his ministry because of his God-ordained position. That's why he's referred to as the weeping prophet. He was a man who had to experience hardship and loneliness and pain and rejection and um, uh, uh, being known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was a man who was greatly used by God in spite of all of that. I'm here to say to you, in spite of your hardships and your setbacks and your loneliness and perhaps your resentments and whatever may be holding you back from serving God, God has a purpose for you. Go for it. And you can enjoy intimate fellowship with the God of heaven. And just as God had a call in Jeremiah's life, I'm here to tell you this morning to proclaim to you that he has a call on your life on all who will uh, trust him, trust Christ and what he has done for us, have a life of faith. God can use anyone in the furtherance of his redemptive plan. And that is, is that if we're willing to submit to him, God will use us. I often write prayers as a part of a message, and I wrote this prayer. And so I'd like to invite you to close your Bibles and your notes, put them up so that way you can hear the prayer that I've written for our church. Jesus wrote a prayer. He gave what was referred to as the model or the, the prayer the, uh, uh, to help us illustrate uh, and know how to pray. I wonder if our prayer could be this this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder in Jeremiah that you formed each one of us in the womb that you have scheduled every day of our life. Thank you for the example of Jeremiah, the prophet who was willing to suffer hardship and loneliness and pain and rejection. Why? For the furtherance of your will. And who penned portions of Holy Scripture for our learning. And I pray from this day forward, my life may be consecrated to you. Use me to fulfill your will in my life for your greater praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if we could embrace that prayer and realize that God has consecrated, sanctified, set us apart, and wants to use us. I'm asking this morning if you'd be willing to consecrate and give your life back to the Lord. Maybe you're going through a hard time. 
Maybe you are having some financial difficulties or relationship difficulties, and maybe you really feel like, I have no value, I have no worth, I'm lonely. We could put all the adjectives that you want in, in that sentence that you are having some struggles. May I just beseech you, may I beg you to realize that you have value, and that value comes from God. And on this Sunday, where we call it the Sanctity of Life Sunday, may we truly understand that God has sanctified and set us apart, and we don't need any more abortions. We don't need any more murder. We need to be a people that speaks truth, gets involved, and understand that God gave me a purpose. Am I doing God's purpose for my life? And so I close with this question. Are you doing God's purpose for your life? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Thank you for your amazing attention this morning. And I thank you so much for giving due diligence to the Word of God. I ask you this morning, are you doing God's will for your life? You've been set apart. God has a purpose for you. And whatever your current struggle is and whatever whatever you're going through at this very moment, God has a plan for you.